from WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, December 20th. As we continue to get a variety of views on the Israel-Hamas war and the larger Israeli-Palestinian conflict, with us now is Palestinian-American journalist and activist Heba Jamal. Born and raised here, a graduate of City College, she was the salutatorian at CCNY's Colin Powell School for Civic and Global Leadership, the largest school within City College. And while she was a student, she won a Comptroller Scott Stringer Award for Education Activism in 2017, when Stringer was the City Comptroller and Heba worked for the Education Reform Group Integrate NYC. She currently lives in Germany and writes a Substack newsletter and freelance journalism and opinion pieces for various publications. Heba Jamal also has family in Gaza and personally knew the poet and professor of English literature, Rafat Alarir, who was recently among the many thousands killed there and got some news coverage. Just before Alarir's killing, Heba Jamal had interviewed and quoted him in an article on the war that she wrote in the publication The New Arab. Heba, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Can you share a little bit about yourself to start out in addition to what I said there in the intro? If you went to City College, I'm guessing you grew up in New York City? Yeah, I grew up in the Bronx, actually, and I've been there my whole life. I've recently moved to Germany only three years ago. So, um, yeah, I've I've been in New York City my whole life. You graduated City College just a couple of yeah. years ago, and I yes. mentioned you won that Comptroller Scott Stringer Award for Education Activism when he was Comptroller. What kind of work led to that award? Right. So before I, I really spoke about, you know, being Palestinian and, and, you know, trying to fight for the liberation of, of my people, one thing that really motivated me was, you know, tackling school segregation within New York City. I went to a very, you know, segregated high school in Manhattan. It was called the Beacon School. And um, it was it was extremely stark difference for me. And so the concept of going to a predominantly white school after living in the Bronx and seeing the diversity that was around me in middle school, it really pushed me to uh, work towards education reform, work towards, um, you know, tackling school segregation. Um, and and that that activism, you know, I I really how I consider and how I tie it into what I what I do and what I write now is the concept of I'm against the othering of people, whether it's within New York City public schools or in Gaza and Palestine. I understand you were also active on Palestinian issues in college. The topic uh, as something on campus is obviously in the news now. What was going on at CCNY in those recent years on the Israel, Israel-Palestine issue? So the university um, context has always been very, you know, charged. As a student, we, you know, as a student activist, we have always felt that it was, you know, very much against the administration. We never felt supported. I can tell you, me personally, I have been harassed and attacked by, you know, pro-Israeli students. Um, one time I was I was simply tabling for, for you know, pro-Palestinian efforts and an adjunct professor from NYU who just gave a speech at the, you know, Students Supporting Israel Club. And, you know, he kind of came up to me and said that Palestinians in Gaza, and this is a quote, you know, kind of deserve what's coming to them because of, you know, similarly to how, 
Germans and Nazi Germany deserve to be, you know, raped and um, attacked by Soviet soldiers. And this is, again, a direct quote. And I never received any sort of support from City College's administration at the time. And so what's happening now is, of course, an escalation of that. Um, but it has always been charged. It has always been something that is entirely student run. And they have never received any sort of support, received any sort of dialogue and conversation to, to critically engage with with this topic. There was I, there was no need to listen to the students um, at the time. I gather your family roots are more in the West Bank, but you know people, mm -hmm. including family members in Gaza. Would you tell us a little bit about your connections to both areas? So actually my family a majority of my personal family were exiled in 1948 in the village of jimsu um you know with operation danny they were ethnically cleansed and a lot of them became refugees within the west bank but and then in 67 had to also leave because of the war and um you know a lot of them moved to germany a lot moved to brazil a lot moved to the united states and new york in particular which is you know why i'm also there so so um that that is my personal story with, with palestine but in, in terms of you know i i married my husband who's a pediatrician here in germany and his entire family is in gaza and i had the privilege of visiting gaza just last year and and it to see it all destroyed to see the people i love face death every single day is has been incredibly incredibly difficult and um has been incredibly more real as as this war um has persisted have you lost people you knew personally both in the west bank and gaza these last few months yes yes i have and more so my husband you know of course more than me he he his facebook page has essentially become an obituary page it has has is his neighbors his friends everyone he knows he tells me every single day that either a neighbor has been killed or his friend has been killed or his friend's sons have been killed i mean it's 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 pretty consistent and, and it doesn't seem like it's stopping and at some point we just kind of had to shut off our, you know, social media pages just because it, it, it definitely became too much. Um, and so I could just tell you personally, um, I'm not sure if you know about the grid system that Israel kind of, you know, after during the ceasefire, the United States came to Israel and kind of told them, hey, you can't just indiscriminately kill people. You have to have some sort of system in place for evacuation. And they came up with this you know, dystopian block system where there's thousands of, you know, kind of, uh, it's it's like a grid map. And every, every town within Gaza has a specific number assigned. And so when Israel announces they're going to bomb a specific number on the map, the people in that area need to evacuate. So it's entirely complex on its own, but we actually tried as my family to, you know, see how it works and try to inform our family of which block number they are and where they should evacuate and especially in the north and so we 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 did so we looked almost an hour and a half on the internet trying to figure out which block our our family lives in and we told them to evacuate and they tried to and the bomb and the and the the roads actually uh that connected north and south 
you know, were bombed that very same day. They were unable to evacuate. They had to return home um, and are essentially locked in their houses um, because it is incredibly dangerous to leave. And not to mention that there is barely any internet access. So even if they tried to access these grid, you know, these these grid maps, they they absolutely cannot. And it's certainly been well documented in the American press that there's been a lot of bombing in areas where people were told to evacuate. Uh, I just want to make sure that everybody's understanding you. You're saying the name of the place the way that I guess people from there actually say it, kind of like Gaza, but and that's what we Americanized uh, speakers call Gaza. So just, just making sure that people understand when you say that that's where you're referring to. You interviewed the poet and English literature professor Rafat al from the Islamic University in Gaza City shortly before he was killed for an article you published on November 30th. At that time, you reported the university had already been destroyed, but Rafat had decided to stay in northern Gaza rather than evacuate to the south, south as many other people were doing. Why did he decide to stay? You know, just similar to my husband's family and uh, similar to Rafat's case, uh, there is actually no place to go. You know, they you go to a school, they bomb a school. You go to a hospital, they have bombed the hospitals. Just three days ago, the Kamil Adwan hospital, you know, was completely razed by a bulldozer and people were buried, you know, underneath as uh, in, in the actual compound. They were buried alive. They were killed and buried alive. This was not an airstrike. This was actually an Israeli bulldozer coming in and actively murdering people that are there. And this was well well documented and has multiple witnesses, but has received zero condemnation from the media and the international community. And um, I and and similarly, Rifat, you know, it, it was a stand. You cannot just demands that Palestinians become refugees because of a campaign um, that has that cannot be won. You know, tackling and trying to defeat Hamas is 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 not going to happen. It's just it's it's practically impossible and materially impossible. And what they're doing is creating the biggest humanitarian catastrophe. And they're pretty open and public about this. They're creating a humanitarian catastrophe within Gaza to to push as many people as they can to the Sinai. I'm not sure if they're able to do that politically, but that's definitely the 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 proven intention. Do you think the current protest movement? is having an impact. I know one of the issues for Palestinians is that the world generally ignores their plight. Everybody's at least talking about it now. Right. I, I definitely think protests are, are, are of course, changing public opinion. Um, but of course, I'm in a very unique situation where it's it's even hard to, to have to have protests, to be able to demonstrate, to say, stop the genocide. I mean, I live in Germany and in Berlin, police are literally arresting people that have signs that say stop the genocide. I mean, this is the extent of the discourse that we're, we're talking about. Like, like, you know, the weaponization of anti-Semitism across the world, and specifically in Germany, is that it has taken a point where to be able to protest is seen as an extreme privilege for us Palestinians. Um, I, I remember registering a vigil um, 
just to not even protesting just to hold space for people mourning their loved ones and and that was banned by the heidelberg police department because they said that you know palestinians and pro-palestinians are too emotionally charged and it could lead to anti-semitic incitement this is a direct quote from the banned letter that we were given by police um and so 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 of course i mean the the reason why these these protests are banned of course is because it could change public opinion and um in germany questioning israel's right to exist and israel's national you know and and of course israel's national security is germany's reason of state um is seen as something incredibly important so even having these displays of pro palestinian solidarity is seen as a, as a threat lisa in brooklyn you're on wnyc and i'm going to use lisa to represent um, the most frequent question we're getting as pushback questions from listeners via text and on the phones. We'll take one of those callers to represent, and that is Lisa in Brooklyn. You're on WNYC. Hello, Lisa. Hi. Um, I just want to ask, do you feel that Israel has any right to defend itself or that the, um, the attacks on October 7th were so barbaric and horrifying it um it 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 it, uh, it it takes my breath away i also want to say i feel incredibly horrible for the palestinians and um you know for what's going on i feel that there's a lot of exaggeration and propaganda also coming from the palestinian community we the the pictures are enough we can see it it's really bad and we are supportive, but I'm also supportive of the Israelis. This didn't come out of nowhere. The other question I have is why can't there be a two-state solution when there has always been in that part of the world Jews um, and uh, Christians and Arabs? They're, they all come from that part of the world, and I don't understand why there can't be a two-state solution. Lisa, thank you. Um, let me hold the two-state solution question and address the first part of what she said. Do you blame Hamas at all for the civilian death toll for embedding among civilians the way they do? Not every fighting force uses civilians that way, arguably, and we hear this a lot from commentators in the U.S., that's a selfish and cynical and involuntary deployment of civilians into harm's way. Do you guys know how big Gaza is? I mean, I, I just want people to realize I've, you know, I've been to Gaza. You mean how again. small it is, right? Right, right, yeah, right. How 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 small it is in in reality. But 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 let's say okay, let's let let's let's put a thought experiment. Let's say Hamas does in fact use uh, civilians as human shields, just as um, you know, just as Israel Israel states. I mean, does that still justify the murder of, of 20,000 people and thousands more under the rubble? The caller said that, oh, yeah, you know, the, the, the stuff that is coming out of Gaza is, is clearly, you know, exaggerated. It is absolutely not exaggerated. I, I spoke to my cousin-in-law just yesterday. He was gathering the phones of the family to go to a hospital in order to charge them. And he and I, quote, said, I was walking down the street and saw two bodies with their heads blown off and I had to keep walking. I mean, this that's the reality. The reality is people don't have 
any sort of um, method of, of there's there's no supermarkets available, there's no stores available. I mean, of course, you could say that, you know, this is all Hamas's fault, but this did not start on October 7th. The blockade on Palestinians did not start on, on October 7th. You know, there has been 75 years of apartheid and occupation and and the the actual um, suffering and suffocation of the Palestinians that live in Gaza. I mean, what happened on October 7th, you can say is horrific. What happened before was also horrific. In 2021, there was an assault on Gaza, which did not receive worldwide condemnation, by the way. My, again, my cousin-in-law, my, my first cousin-in-law, um, has a mental illness. He was off his medication and wandered into the streets. He was shot by Israeli soldiers by the border fence where he was strolling along, and they had to leave his body there for two weeks after the Israeli aggression has ended. There was, again, no condemnation. No one came to an Israeli official and said, do you condemn the, the you know, barbarity of the Israeli um, army against the Palestinian people in Gaza. So this politics of condemnation, I, I truly feel, has has dehumanized Palestinians to an extent that is unbearable. There is no such thing as proportionality. There is no such thing as international law. Israel can say that they want to commit a genocide against the Palestinian people. They can call them human animals. They can show a, a map you know, from from the river to the sea as all Israel. Um, but of course, it is it is students on campus who are posing a real threat to Israel's right to exist. Um, I, I, I find I find the proportionality of that ridiculous. And I, and I also think that, you know, after everything that has go, gone on in Gaza over the past two months to kind of also sit there and just kind of say, you know, uh, is isn't this isn't this Hamas's fault when it is Israeli airstrikes and 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 missiles and tanks and guns that are that are killing the Palestinian people? Um, or I think people would say yeah. both both sides' fault. I guess that you know your it sounds like your answer was that Hamas fighters, because Gaza is so small, have no choice but to embed among civilians. But a lot of people would say. That's not true, certainly not in the way that they do, purposely placing themselves uh, near very specific, uh, you know, civilian institutions or residential buildings. I cannot tell you about where Hamas is embedded. I don't even think Israel knows where Hamas is embedded. But that, you know, but again, this is this is not my point. I, th I just think this is used as a justification by Israeli propagandists. And I, I and I personally you know, as a Palestinian who wants people to really see their humanity and see the conditions that they are in, to to also kind of question um, and be critical of of accusations like that. Um, last thing, then, both sides accuse the other side of wanting genocide. There are also many Jews horrified by the way this war is being fought by Israel. We've seen many Jews at protests in the U.S., and of course, we get those callers. Do you think a unified peace movement would be possible between Israelis and Palestinians who march together for their respective sides to stop the horrific violence? I think, of course, it is possible. I think that, you know, if Israeli society has specifically wants an end to an apart apartheid and occupation and says that they want to live side by side with Palestinians throughout the land, 
I think that is possible. And that's exactly what Palestinians have been asking for. I mean, people are kind of riled up by the concept of from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. But the but the purpose behind that is is equality for all people living in one land. You know, I, I mean, this this is this is the hope is that people would actually right. want to live together and not see each other as the villain. Right. And I and, and I don't think I would, you know, ever dehumanize another another um, civilian. And I, and I hope other people won't do. Although um, I'll follow up same. with one thing on that, because that's what you just described <laughs> the, is the sort of the Palestinian one state solution. Israelis find that extremely threatening. And they would say that from their side, they see their people as having suffered 2,000 years of persecution culminating in the Holocaust, and Israel is intended to be a safe space, a national home for an oppressed minority, a carve-out for an oppressed people, which could be seen as a progressive project, and not to diminish the Nakba from 1948 or what's happening today, but now here are two historically oppressed peoples. Can some humanization of that on both sides um, not end from your point of view in the two-state solution that the caller was asking for? So, so Brian, I think that if someone says that they feel threatened by another person, another type of person living near them, I find that incredibly racist. I mean, why why should you feel threatened if a Palestinian lives next to you or near you? Why do you have to instead go on, you know, extreme well, settlement building campaigns? Well, I think they would say it's, a, it's about being a minority, uh, not to defend the settlements in any way, but they would say it's about, yet again, having no choice but to be a minority in some country instead of um, having a Jewish state. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll be clear on this. I think if a state exists and can only exist for the protection of one person, one type of people through apartheid and occupation, internationally recognized apartheid and occupation, that I'm sorry, but that state does not have any right to exist. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't. Um, a state that demands equality for all people, regardless of religion, regardless of ethnicity, that is a state that I would I would proudly um, get behind. Heba Jamal, Palestinian-American journalist and activist, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Good luck to you. Thank you family. so much. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.